0: You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. A book that has been impactful in my life is Man's Search for Meaning by Dr. Viktor Frankl. Uh, Dr. Frankl was a neurologist and a psychiatrist in Austria. He also happened to be Jewish, so during World War II he was in various Nazi concentration camps. His mother, his father, and his wife all died in concentration camps during World War II. During his time of being... In these death camps, he was observing not only what was happening in his own life, but what was happening in other prisoners' lives and and wondering, as a psychiatrist and a neurologist, what was the difference between those that were able to overcome and thrive and those that seemed to kind of die inside and many times then subsequently would die physically. And his conclusion was that a person can endure just about any how— If they have a a powerful enough, why? In other words, if a person has a strong sense of purpose in life, a mission to fulfill, they're resilient in the face of hopelessness. He found that prisoners whose lives were based on pleasure uh, quickly gave up under the deprivation of the Nazi concentration camps. He said it this way, don't aim at success. The more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you're going to miss it. For success like happiness cannot be pursued, it must ensue, and it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself. Did you hear that? The unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself. Simon Sinek, in his book, Leaders Eat Last, writes that leadership isn't about just managing numbers, but it's about helping people thrive and find meaning in their work. Humans thrive when they live on mission. God created you, God created us to live on mission. When we have a purpose to fulfill, things like success and happiness, like Dr. Frankel said, seem to follow us And when faced with adversity and setback, we exhibit greater resilience and endurance. When we have a why to live for, we can almost endure any how. Have you noticed that little children love having a mission? I was having lunch the other day and, and had a sandwich I'd made, and I had this bag of baby carrots next to my plate. And Juju, my granddaughter, her picture will come up, pulled a carrot out of the bag, and she gave it to me, and I said, thank you, Juju, and when I said that, her eyes lit up. She now had a mission, which was to feed Papa carrots. It was really fun for the first seven carrots. (laughs) If for whatever reason I'm ever sent to Guantanamo Bay, just have Juju come with a bag of baby carrots, and I'll give up the nuclear codes right away, no doubt about it. You know, enhanced interrogation method right there. The most brilliant leader in history, Jesus Christ, understood that God wired human beings to live on mission. In today's scripture, in Luke chapter 10, you can turn to there in your Bibles, we learn that Jesus calls us to live on mission with him. Let's look down here, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2 to begin with. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What's interesting is some manuscripts have that he sent out 72, and other manuscripts have have it that he sent out 70, and there's, there's equal uh, manuscript evidence for both of these numbers. So, so what is happening with that? Um, I think that God is leaving us a multi-layered message in two equally documented options here. Let me explain that. 72 biblical scholars tell us alludes to the 72 men that Moses chose and God filled them with the Holy Spirit so they could bear the load of servant leadership with Moses for the three million Jews who were in the wilderness. And then 70, biblical scholars tell us, alludes to Genesis chapter 10, where it speaks of the 70 countries of the world. So in other words, uh, Seventy alludes to the 70 nations around the world, and so it tells us that, reminds us that Jesus' mission is for all people, it's for all nations. Seventy-two reminds us that Jesus needs our help, that Jesus wants to set us aside, and he wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit, and then he wants to send us out to bear the load and to serve around the world. As we sang this morning, here am I, Lord. Jesus tells us in this scripture that the key issue is not how big the issues are of need in the world. The issue is, will people go out and be laborers? Will people go out and be servant leaders? The needs of the world are huge, but the issue is about whether you and I are willing to go with Jesus to serve the needs of the world. Then it's very interesting that Jesus sent them out two by two, and that's what the apostles did when they sent out the disciples in the book of Acts. It's important to note that. This is a brilliant strategy. In Ecclesiastes 4.9, it tells us two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Childhood friends Bill and Paul started a company years ago in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Today, the company started by Bill Gates and Paul Allen. Microsoft is worth over half a trillion dollars. That's the power of teamwork. That's the power of synergism that Jesus was tapping into, sending them out two by two. We can accomplish more in teams. We can encourage each other. We can complement one another's strengths and weaknesses. Jesus deeply cares for each human being on the planet. Therefore, he is committed to serving the needs of people. Jesus cares about the 884 million people worldwide who don't have clean drinking water. Jesus cares about the 163 million orphans around the world. Jesus wants the one billion people around the world who haven't heard the good news of God's love through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to come to know him. And here's the kicker. Jesus wants to address these pressing needs through you and through me. We are the body of Christ in the world. Pat Runyon and seven other women who love Jesus and love families got together in Pat's Wheat Ridge home where they prayed and they dreamed about what Jesus would have them do to serve the next generation of young mothers. Out of that group was birthed uh, a movement which now has over 4,000 groups worldwide. They're in over 30 countries. I think it's closer to 40 countries now, and it's known as MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers. A MOPS group meets here in Rockland. In fact, Karen and Dick Parks, which many of you know, they're Rockland members, serve with MOPS. Uh, Karen served full-time as, as one of the executive staff on MOPS, one of the first employees of MOPS, and le- uh, leading it to be able to be scaled worldwide. Karen is a fabulous leader, while Dick, an attorney, volunteers in the nursery here with the little ones so the moms can have their, their tanks filled. They have a fundraiser MOPS does here at Rockland on May 7th. Being a mother... Uh, of little kids is one of the biggest challenges in the world. Isn't that the truth, huh? Mother's Day's coming up, and and guys pull out the stops. Honor mom, okay? Whenever I I would help uh, Colleen back in the day with our little ones, I could hardly wait to go back to work to get a break, you know? That's the truth. Uh, One time, Colleen and I had to take care of uh, one of our nephews, small nephews. He'll remain uh, nameless this morning, so I'll call him Nephew A., And nephew A disappeared, so I went to look for him. And I went around the corner, and and he was at the top of the stairs. And and as soon as I saw him, I knew we were in trouble. First of all, he didn't have any pants on. That's a big clue that something's not right. And uh, then I noticed that his legs had what looked like mud on them, but it wasn't mud. So I asked nephew A the logical question where are your pants? And with trepidation, he pointed to the bathroom. So I looked around for Colleen, and she was nowhere to be found. It's amazing how when it gets tough, she just disappears on me. I'm going to pay for that, but anyway. So I went into the bathroom. (laughs) His pants were by the sink, his underwear was in the tub, and there was mud everywhere. There was a mud apocalypse that happened in my bathroom. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. Right then, you know, it's like, I wish I was at work. You know, work is a mud-free zone usually. And so I, I feel better there. Um, Jesus knows that in this world, mud happens. <laughs> You'll never hear... Timothy Keller preached that. (laughs) You never will. I, I guarantee that you never will. But humanity, with all kidding aside, humanity needs Jesus followers filled with God's spirit of love to go and to serve and to clean up the messes of the world. There's big messes. Jesus said the harvest is ripe. People are yearning for answers, but will anybody go? That's the issue. And it won't be easy. Look down at verse 3. He says, go. And then he says this, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. <laughs> well, thank you, Jesus. In comparing us to going on mission uh, lambs among wolves, Jesus is making an important point we need to remember. We live in a dangerous world. There are drug cartels in Mexico. There's human trafficking happening in, in, in our city because of the the confluence of I twenty five and I seventy. People that are involved in that have told me that this is a major human trafficking hub uh, in the Rocky Mountain area is Denver, and uh, there's even politicians in limited access countries who are threatened and opposed to Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel. Uh, when I was in China, uh, we were clandestinely meeting with uh, underground pastors and and training them, and I was in this micro van, not a minivan, a micro van, and we were stopped by the police. And I began to uh, sweat a little bit because of thinking about the implications of being arrested in China as a pastor and as an American, but the driver, a Chinese pastor, had already been in prison because of preaching the gospel in China, he was totally cool, calm, and collected. He knew from personal experience that whether he was in prison or not, Jesus was faithful. Jesus, who said, I will never leave you or forsake you, this man knew that was true because when he was in prison, Jesus was there with him. And so his courage was greater than the danger. He was so captivated by Jesus and his mission that he was willing to face and overcome adversity even as a lamb among wolves. I don't know if you know this, but sheep are never going to take over the world. Do you know that? You know, I'll bet money on that and I'm I'm not a better at all. Uh, We don't overcome the world as as Jesus' lambs in our own power. We We don't go all full kung fu panda on the wolves of the world, but it's not because of our innate intelligence or power, but it's because of God's power that he goes before us. We do the work, but God does the miracles. We rely on God to overcome what is humanly beyond our ability to defeat. Jesus is our defender. Jesus is our champion. So we go like like sheep among wolves, but we go with courage because Jesus is with us. And what happens is lives are changed and the world is improved and our world desperately needs help. Look down at verse 9 where Jesus says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Our world is sick, isn't it? The last I heard, over 40,000 people have died in the Ukraine in this war. What is this war about? Why do nations just attack and invade other nations? It's irrational, isn't it? Our world is just broken and it needs healing. So Jesus is saying to his followers, will you be, so to speak, spiritual doctors going into this broken world to bring life and healing? In Jesus' day, without the blessing of modern medicine which we have today, a great need was physical healing. And Jesus continues to do that today through modern medicine, which comes from the gracious hand of God, revealing those things to us, and then also through prayer. I have a friend that, because of COVID, went into the hospital on February 8th, and she went home from the hospital, from the rehab center, yesterday, three months. Those of you that are in uh, the, the medical fields at all, would you just raise your hand real quick? If you're in a medical field we have hands all over, thank you for what you do. Absolutely, 100%. We do need physical healing. We need people that are gifted by God to be medical technicians or doctors, nurses, etc. But we also need emotional healing, don't we? We need relational healing. We need mental healing, mental illness. We need cultural healing. Ecological healing and spiritual healing. Steve Fitch and I were young Fuller Seminary students back in the day and church planters in Southern California. Today, Steve leads Eden Reforestation Projects, which plants one million trees a day in third world nations. Their motto is plant trees, save lives. I remember being at a celebration for Eden at... uh, Lake Owassa in Ethiopia, and the tribal leaders asking Steve, why are you doing this? And I remember distinctly Steve saying, there's a God in heaven who created heaven and earth, and he entrusted to us that we are to care for the planet, and then we are to love our neighbor as ourself. That's why we're here, to care for the planet and to care for you. And I remember the tribal leaders responding and saying, we want to follow that God. Before you came, there was no forest, and the animals had gone away, and the rains had gone away, but now with your help, the forests are back, the animals have returned, which is true, and the rains have returned. Do you realize that forests are a magnet for clouds? Won't go into the science of that, but it's true. Friends, Jesus calls us as his followers to be healers in his name and by his divine power. Healers of relationships, healers of families, healers of orphans healers of the planet like Steve Fitch. God calls us to live on mission with him, and we come fully alive when we do so. So did God bless you with a scientific mind or with an artistic soul? Did he gift you with a mind for for numbers, or do you have a great intuition? Whatever it may be, the passions, the gifts, the abilities, the interests, Uh, the opportunities that God has given you, Jesus invites you to use those and invest those to go serve the world on mission, to advance the kingdom of God on earth, to make the world just a little bit better through your contribution. There are four spheres of service that Jesus calls us to. The first is a lifestyle of service. This involves our head and our habits. Hanging out with Jesus changes a person. Believing in and following Jesus makes us more like Jesus. We begin to naturally serve others in love because Jesus' spirit is alive and active in our souls. This becomes part of our character and our lifestyle and our habits. We stay after the party, for instance, and we help the host clean up because that's just who we are becoming as Jesus followers. Following Jesus, we become little by little less selfish and Little by little, more and more servant-hearted. Motivation to serve, especially when it isn't easy or convenient, is a matter of character and habits, and it is formed as Christ's love is at work deep in our souls. That's the first sphere. The second sphere of service is in our home with our loved ones. Jewish Scripture, which we call the Old Testament, makes it clear the holy calling of parents to raise their children in the nurture and in the teachings of the Lord. Serving our families in love is the basis of our credibility as Christians. Love starts and is rooted in the home. Incredible power is unleashed when we consistently follow Jesus in serving our loved ones like Jesus serves us. Children grow up to become these amazing adults who impact the world for good when raised by parents who faithfully serve their family like Christ serves the church. The third sphere of service that Jesus calls us to is to our church and to our community. We are to bloom where God planted us. We are to be a part of the solution for a better city by serving in our church and in our community. When I was a pastor back in the day, I had the privilege of also volunteering in Lakewood as a youth football and basketball coach. And even though that was years ago, just this last week, I had uh, coffee with one of the young men that I coached who played, ended up playing football, linebacker at School of Mines, was an engineer, is now married, has two small children, and, and now works for a government agency that I can't say out loud. And I'm so proud of this man Of who Andy has become. And that's just a small illustration that if we all do our part, Rockland and Golden and Evergreen and Lakewood and Denver can become a little bit better and healthier. Instead of sitting on the sidelines, lobbing criticism on Facebook, let's be part of the solution, huh? To be a good neighbor by serving others in God's love. There was a man who sent this note to his neighbor. Dear Frank, we've been neighbors for six tumultuous years. When you borrowed my lawnmower, it wouldn't run when you returned it. When I was sick and in bed all day, all I could hear was your dumb dog barking. Then when your dog did his business on my lawn, you laughed. I could go on, but I'm not a man to hold grudges. (laughs) So as a good neighbor, I'm writing this letter to tell you your house is on fire, cordially Bob. Jesus would say, don't be Bob, okay? You have two good tweets from this morning. Mud happens and don't be Bob, right there. So be a good neighbor. Be a contributing church member, making Rockland stronger and healthier. Be be a, a contributing community member in your neighborhood and in your city. From God's love, serve others with a cheerful spirit of goodwill, not obligation and duty and hangdog and negative But with the joy of the Lord is your strength. Finally, the fourth sphere of service Jesus calls us to is around the globe. I have a young friend, Marcus, who's an attorney downtown in uh, Denver, and he and his oldest child, a 13-year-old girl, are flying to Poland to volunteer at a Ukrainian refugee camp. Life is so exciting when first Jesus is alive and well in our souls, so our hearts are being transformed by God's love. That's when our Christianity comes alive. Then that love overflows in a life of service, in our homes and in Rockland and in our community and around the globe. Remember Victor Frank, uh, Frankel's conclusion? We find happiness when we don't seek happiness, but when we seek to live a life of significance, a life on purpose, a life of mission. So what was the outcome of the disciples' mission trip? Look down at verse 17, if you would. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And then look down at verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. So notice two outcomes in the scripture from their mission trip. First, Satan's darkness is pushed back and God's light advances in the world. Abused children are rescued and healed. Addicted people are set free. Lonely people are loved. Dirty water is filtered. Innovative solutions are discovered and implemented. Hatred and violence and poverty and crime decrease. How? When we all go on mission with Jesus together in teams, Satan's darkness is pushed back. The second outcome is joy. The people that came back were full of joy, the Scripture tells us. Then when they reported what happened, what was Jesus filled with? Joy. Archbishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa said it this way, you and I are created for transcendence, laughter, and caring. Huh? Isn't that great? I think it was Martin Luther that believed that laughter chased away the devil. Think about that for a while. You and I are created for transcendence, laughter, and caring. God is looking for you and me to be fellow workers with God. Friends, counterintuitively, every time that I've gone on a mission trip, I have received more than I have given, which isn't fair, but it happens every time. One trip to Ethiopia, my friend Alex went on his first mission trip. Alex is now CEO of a technology company down in Dallas. On the flight over to Africa, I remember uh, Alex lamenting to me that he had so much work to do at home, and he didn't know why he was on an uncomfortable plane because he never (laughs) rides coach like missionaries do. And, uh, you know, what was he doing? Then an amazing thing happened on the trip that you see in this picture. We got out of the Land Rovers at this school, and all the kids broke ranks. Well, they never did. We went to several schools, but they broke ranks, and they just went around Alex like a magnet and they surrounded him. It was overwhelming to him, and it melted his heart. Out of that, Alex and his wife, Bretany, ended up adopting two Ethiopian sisters. One of them will go to George Mason University next year on a full-right academic scholarship when she came to the United States, couldn't speak English and couldn't read. Uh, more to that story, obviously. Later, when the team debriefed with Alex, he said, The way he described what was happening in that picture, he said, I felt like I was in love and I was in joy. Hmm. There's a joy, folks, that we can only get if we go and we serve. It's not easy, but there's fullness of joy. Yes, Jesus was realistic, and I'm not candy coating that there will be adversity, rejection, exhaustion, and stress when we serve with Jesus. Yes, in this world mud happens. But ultimately there will be joy overflowing and eternal joy in God's presence. I love the promise that God gives in Psalm 126:5. Those who sow in tears will reap with joy. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul. In Ephesians 2.10 to write, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The Holy Spirit just inspired Paul to use this incredible word there, workmanship, which in the Greek is poema. It's saying that we are God's work of art, his opus his masterpiece, that God wants to paint a beautiful picture with our lives that include these good works. There's, there's a video clip that I think illustrates this. If you would put that up there, I'd appreciate it. I love that clip because so often God is doing something in our lives and we can't see it, right? And then it's only later in life or even in heaven, that it's turned right side up then. And we begin to see the beauty that the masterpiece that Jesus is doing in our lives is that we're becoming more like him. Jesus came and he served us. That's the scripture that was read at the beginning of the service. So following Jesus, the question for us out of this scripture is will we serve others in God's love like Christ serves us? And we come fully alive When we live life with Jesus on mission. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The scripture tells us that after the meal, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. Drink this in remembrance of me. Draw near to Jesus now with hearts full of faith, thanking him for his service of love that he's given that we may be saved. God bless you.